0: Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to the Cultural Studies Podcast. I'm very glad to be here with an old friend whom I don't think I've seen for about 20 years. That correct. But we've been... Come closer if you would, yes. Vijay. We've, okay. been, we've okay. been in occasional contact, oh, I've and I've followed your career a lot. Uh-huh. This is Professor Vijay Mishra, who, when I was at Murdoch University in Perth 20-odd years ago, mm-hmm. was one of the big stars. Since then, he's been a big star in many other places, and he's come back to be a big star here again. But he's just done a very great thing, which is to confirm his own self-image as the classic Bondian the villain by appearing in my little office, I've been allocated, with some single malt scotch mm. in order to facilitate our exchange. BJ's mm. it's mm. wonderful to be with yes, you. Yes,
1: it's great to be with you too, Toby, <laughs> and, and cheers. cheers, cheers, before we continue.
0: The other thing mm. you used to be famous for, mm. and I remember having dinner at your house mm. just before I left Australia, was your smoking jacket. My smoking. Your jacket. non-smoking smoking jacket that you put on after dinner. Oh, do you uh, remember that? I
1: don't. I don't. In you like had me one. A bit. I I do have one. Um, not smoking smoking jacket. Yes. Um,
0: and I I came round to dinner at your house. Yes. Met the family. Yes. And I think for the first time, and then you took me into your library and put on your smoking jacket.
1: Oh. And
0: said this is me as the incarnated Bondian villain. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if you could, let's start off, just yes. for old time's sake, because you're a scholar of many, many things, mm-hmm. but this includes Bondian villains.
1: Yes, it does include Bondian <laughs> villains.
0: <laughs>
1: now, what was that all about? Well, uh, you've got me there, Toby. I mean, Maybe it's sort of the beginning <laughs> of dementia or something. I, can, I mean, once upon a time, when this sort of thing happened, uh, one, you would probably say, well, it's... Uh, professorial absent-mindedness, but now, of course, it is old age creeping right, number, right, I think, right. which is probably why I can't remember. You don't remember that, this at all. I Don't remember this. This. Uh, well, I am. Smoking. I am
0: known as a fantasist, so it, it is entirely possible it, it that I could I've well be. It could well.
1: But but there are. I mean. I mean. There was a. There was a film, a Bollywood film, right, that was made about that time when you came to my place. Yep. it was called Mister India. And Mr. India really was about a bond villain um, who had mastered the art of invisibility. So this could well be one of those jackets, you know those <laughs> jackets, which are sort of the invisible smoking jacket that I was talking about. And uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful <laughs> villain. It was a, a villain in a Bollywood film called "Mr. India." That's so cool. villainous that when a snake bit him, hmm. the snake died. <laughs>
0: Sounds it's a graphically like,
1: shown in this movie. Sounds like a Murdoch of the 1990s, anyway. So, so that probably explains, that, that probably so that probably explains what it was all about. And
0: we were all interested in Bond in those days because of Umberto Eco yes, and yes, Tony written, Bennett. Tony Bennett, yes, yes.
1: and uh, we were also very interested because, to, I, from memory, neither Eco nor, nor Bennett really spoke much about His Majesty's secret service. Which right. actually had an Australian Bond, George Lazenby, George Lazenby, and the Queensland course, sheep that, steamer. That's very true. <laughs> and Queen queenbean, Queen Yeah, and subsequently, I think that became something of a cult yeah. Bond film. Right, right. And I think that that was one of the questions i might have asked um tony when he when he gave <laughs> that paper during your days here yeah yeah so,
0: yeah, so that ago.
1: that so so bond has a place which
0: now in those days you were working on a book that came out a few years later that was really uh, and remains a landmark in the study of indian cinema of hindi cinema let us say
1: oh that was uh, that was a lot later but you were working on it even i later. i was working on it in the sense that um uh, some years before, in 1984, I'd written um, perhaps one of the very early theoretical essays on what used to be called Bombay cinema for that uh, journal called Screen. Mm-hmm. And I think that was about 30 years ago, 1984, I think it was when it came out. So may- maybe that, that was sort of writing essay, yeah. but I didn't really return to Bollywood cinema until I'd been to the University of Alberta. But in the kind of cold and miserable minus thirty degree temperature in the winter, with the research assistant, I, I basically wrote the book. But but before that, I, I, Bollywood was just a side interest of mine. Right. Right. The Mahabharata then, was the big thing. The Mahabharata was the yeah, bigger thing, yeah, and of course, I'm yeah. um, in mean, Australian literature and the Gothic. Yeah, they were sure, kind of the sure. bigger sure. things I was doing. But one of the uh, interesting things about my um, uh, sort of foray, shall we say, into Bollywood, was the fact that the point you raised during lunch today was that um, at Murdoch, there was a kind of ease with which one could work, write about film, and at the same time, you know, give lectures on Milton. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this was a very interesting thing, and I do recall, I mean, I, I, I caught a bit of flack, because given my literary background, I sort of approached Bollywood cinema through sort of big macro narratives of the epic and so forth. Right. But I never felt uncomfortable that here was a popular art form that kind of drew its its energies from these great epics. and reformed and reformulated and and represented mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. popular form uh, mm-hmm. which was Bollywood cinema and one of my arguments was that uh, the, the reason why Bollywood was so powerful as a social phenomenon was that the epics were Always an already read text mm. and It's a kind of Lionel Trilling's argument <laughs> that mm. you didn't read the book, but the book read you. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's why um, all these sort of metaphors, these, these iconic moments of the epic, transformed in, in the popular, were so very successful. Very successful, yeah.
0: and so people can find that really important article. I think it was mid eighties, as you say. In yeah, eighty
1: four. And when did the book come out? The book didn't come out till two thousand and one or two thousand and two. And what's it called? It's you... called Bollywood Cinema Temples of Desire. And um, it was uh, one of the early books. And then Mm -hmm. suddenly there was a huge explosion uh, of books on Bollywood cinema. Um, Since then, I think up to half a dozen or so books, specifically on that subject.
0: Now, Um, tell us about Temples of Desire as a concept and how this fits into the epic.
1: That was a very interesting idea. I mean, I picked that up from Milton. Um, There is a line in Milton's Paradise Lost, I forget which book, where um, Milton just says this a line, which says something like um, "temples of fire," and and I became interested uh, in that line, um, not specifically that particular image, but but Milton through of course Sergei Eisenstein's right. reading of the epic as as a as a um, as a shooting script, in fact. So and and given my interest in the Mahabharata and so forth, I thought it would be nice kind of twist. So instead of uh, temples of fire, I transformed into a temples of desire. But, but that also had a, um, another subtext in the sense that I, I did see uh, in those days, you know, there was a, a very common phrase, I don't know who was responsible for it, um, the, the notion of the desiring machine.
0: Well, it's actually in Thomas Hobbes somewhere. Oh, is it?
1: Bizarrely.
0: Oh. But it was re-popularised in film theory. And uh, I don't know where it is in Hobbes. And, of course, the trouble is nowadays you can actually look for these things mm. and you can find that they're not where you thought they were. Rarse. But I think there's a, the concept of that is in Hobbes, as in man is a desiring machine. Mm. People are mm. desiring machines, mm. you know, because it is both a psychological state and also a kind of physical entity. That's yeah. my understanding, but who knows? I could have made that up. Like this, the non-smoking, smoking jacket. Yeah, like invisible that. That's true. In so. Mr. India.
1: So, so that, that was the the, the kind of um, idea, shall we say, yep. that that gripped me. You know, I wanted to ask myself, well, what kind of a desiring machine it is, mm. and, and mm. why is it? And and because of my earlier interest in in the Gothic, um, I was interested in um, it's a notion, notion of attraction, you know, mm. that that you um, it. it you wish to possess it, and it possesses you.
0: Mm, mm,
1: sort a of mm. two-way, two-way process. And, um, and uh, when my memory is not all that good anymore, particularly since the book was written so many years ago. But, but there was also, um, I think it was Metz, mm. the film theorist. Christian Metz. Christian Metz, who also talked about um, the way in which um, kind of imaginatively Responded. Sure. I so, you know, the, the, the idea of the apparatus
0: is partly involving you mm. Mm. as the
1: spectator,
0: mm. as well as the technical machinery, mm. as well as cinema itself. And mm. this imaginary signifier was about that's true. the links yeah. between these mm. forms of mm. fantasy and materiality. Yeah. So it's a while then. It's over 10 years since that came out. Yeah, 12, I, 12
1: 13, yeah. years. How
0: long have you been watching Bollywood
1: films? Well, that, that's that, a very interesting... Um, uh, question um i i'm kind of rather odd in many ways um as, as you may have gathered um i'm i'm actually only an ethnic indian yeah. i'm not kind of indian indian in the true blue sense of the word um and uh, i'd like to just just go back to, mm-hmm. to narrate something which uh, which i think captures and then i can answer that question mm-hmm. because I think this framework mm-hmm. is really quite interesting uh, about um 15 15 years ago, um, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation asked me to be, uh, I don't know what the term is, one of the individuals, sort of Australian, not so much anchor person, but um, spokesperson uh, for a a program they were running on Edward Said. Mm -hmm. And I'm not too sure if it was... um, because of Edward Said's 50th birthday or the 20th anniversary of Orientalism. I mm-hmm. suspect the latter, mm-hmm. because this was 1997, 98, mm-hmm. I know, mm-hmm. a bit earlier. And I, th- I think um, Orientalism came out towards the end of the 70s. Mm-hmm. So I- I'm not too sure. So here I was the kind of Australian mm-hmm. person mm-hmm. in this discussion portal or whatever it's called. And the other people, of course, were Said himself, Columbia University, New York, Homi Baba, who was then at the University of Chicago, and Leela Gandhi, who I don't know where she was. Mm. So the the ABC um, presenter then started by saying to each one of us, um, just introduce yourself and and, what you're doing. So Edward um, said something about his parents, the fact that um, there was music in the home, and his father introduced um, uh, some kind of administrative methodology to the people of Alexandria, to the civil servants of mm. Alexandria, and, uh, and and so on and so forth. Then came um, Homi Baba's turn, and, and of course, his father was a very well known Parsi in, uh, in Bombay, one of the founders. Mm. Of the, the, his people, as you know, Parsi, founders of of Mumbai, and of course um, he became a very, very big post-colonial scholar. And then came Leela Gandhi's turn and she said, uh, well, I'm the great-grandlord of the Mahatma. <laughs> 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 and of course, I mean, in India, as you know, that is it. If, if you and can then they, <laughs> what's Vijay going to say? come to me, and I'm stumped, yeah. totally stumped, and I said, what can I say? I mean, I in que- an answer to your question, I'm a third generation Fijian, Fijian. and my my people were uh, illiterate cane cutters mm. who came as indentured laborers in the um, late nineteenth century to Fiji to work on the plantation. And so, in one sense, um, uh, I grew up in an environment, kind of oral environment, mm. without literacy. So um, I didn't have any high culture of my own, nor any high cultural language either, because at home we spoke in dialect, which was kind of Fiji Hindi, as a kind of plantation language. It's not quite Creole because it has its own grammar. It's very close to standard Hindi. And um, we ate um, a mixture of food. and. And we spoke in uh, in a Melanesian language as well, which was Fijian. And so for me, um, learning standard Hindi was right, learning high culture, you know. To learn Sanskrit meant that. But on top of that, learning English, too, meant that it was a high cultural language that I had to learn. So here I was, you know, totally stumped and Couldn't say a word, (laughs) given that somebody's father had introduced stenography or whatever, and someone else's father was a big name in Mumbai, and he was a great scholar of post colonial theory, and someone else was the great-granddaughter of the Mahatma. And your dad
0: was cutting cane. And my dad
1: and my parents are cutting cane, and I went to school thanks to the Methodist Church, uh, who educated me in little scholarships and so forth. And, and all my life and the education has been through, through sort of scholarships. And the, and the first one I got mm. was used to be called the Colonial Government Scholarship because it's still a colony of the UK, uh, which was the same scholarship that Vidya and got. And he went to Oxford. And I went to Wellington, so in you, New Zealand. You have
0: this wonderful colonial trajectory, Vijay, which is... Kind of classic for rugby players.
1: Yes, 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 yes. In a way, yeah.
0: <laughs> Fiji, New Zealand, Australia, yeah. Oxford. Yes, is that? I've got that. that, right that that's sort ball. of right. Yeah, sort of yeah. Right. yeah, yeah.
1: That's that's the way. Multiple doctorates. Yeah, something like that. Something <laughs> like that. Two, not multiple.
0: So, when do you start seeing Gollywood?
1: When is that's that? That's the ba- okay. So, given that kind of background, yeah. we are with art culture. Yeah. High culture does not exist. India is that ultimate idea of the imaginary. Mm. Right? Um, a kind of fantasy land with which we have no connection. We sort of broke off completely. No one in my family ever went back. Never, ever. So we grew up. And so when um, cinema comes to, to Fiji and when Porkys
0: mm-hmm. began
1: in 1931, it was a huge investment by um, Indian business folks into this form. And I started going to, to film, because there, was a, there was a cinema just across the river, going on this side of the river. It was a cinema house that was built in 1951 or 52, And I started watching films then. So between, say, 1952 and 1964, when I went to New Zealand, I watched every Hindi movie that was shown mm-hmm. in that theatre every week. So I, in my head, I had this kind of uh, kind of narrative. It, it almost like complete syntax, shall we say, mm-hmm. of movies from 1952 all the way to 64. After that, of course, it became a lot more erratic. Um, you know, whenever I went back, and in cinema halls, uh, I'd watch it. Um, so that, that's how it began. And for us, um, it was one way of connecting with. High culture, but also high language, because the language of this film was invariably very sophisticated Hindi, and uh, the songs were all in Urdu, poetic Urdu. So, so that that kind of wow.
0: you know, so the idea
1: of Bollywood as populist is quite foreign to you. Uh, well, in a way, yes. In a way, yes. For me, it was a. Um, kind of a core cultural, almost like a high cultural form, mm. although yeah, it yeah. was a popular art. Yeah, yeah, you know, sure. It was a popular art for us, it was high culture. It was different from the language we spoke. Uh, they sang beautiful songs, the music was very sophisticated, the poetry was art of this world, and so on. But, um, w- and, and given that um, our culture was basically oral, in a sense, mm. Um, mm. we were trained to... Um, to kind of recreate dialogues. And many of the, of the songs that I, I play on my harmonium now, uh, they go back to those days. And then they're, they're what they say, they're memorially recalled. Mm. You know, I sort of remember them and write them down and so forth. So that, that was the beginning of, of, of my interest in Bollywood. Subsequently, as was a scholarly interest. I went back and, and researched in the Pune, sort of television archive. And watched movies, and and in a way, I I've always felt, and this is how I've handled uh, my own discipline, is that um, you you got to know the text as a whole, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, know, it's it's various expressions and so forth, but but there is a, a kind of the larger narrative of the text. So I can say that. I inside me, I, I know Bollywood cinema from 1931 onwards, and I've kept up with with it. It's just so, so it's just an archive that I, I've carried, and mm, I, um, mm. and I didn't have to do really do much work, um, sort of viewing the films and, and analysing them in great detail. I, mean, I, I I had to some of them, but but it was always there. I mean, I could make if there was a, a phrase that cropped up in a, in a movie, I could connect it to an earlier one. And so that, that, that's sort of the, the literary background in me.
0: And know. did you learn about the epics that were being referenced from these films themselves?
1: No, this was the other side of, um, although we're kind of illiterate, cane cutters and so forth, what they brought with them were the epics. The stories were already there as part of, of the oral narrative. And right. when I spoke about text-reading us, that had been part of a feature of Eiji particularly mm. Hindu life. Mm. So we knew, we knew all these stories, all these connections. But subsequently, um, as, as a scholar, uh, under A.L. Basham and, and Deong at, at the ANU, I actually learned Sanskrit. So I could go back and, and, and read read the, the original. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, it sort of reinforced uh, some of those epic themes and, and stories and so forth, but um, they're always there. Uh, the, um, the vernacular epic, uh, the vernacular Ramayana, mm-hmm. which is a, um, uh, a late um, 16th century work in, in Oedhi, which is which is in fact close to the dialect we speak in Fiji that was the the ramayana that they brought with them uh, some were literate brought the book many had just you known knew it uh, as an oral text mm-hmm. so so the it's called the tulsidas ramayana
0: uh-huh. uh,
1: just similar to the Balmiki sanskrit classic so that was read and performed in in um, in what's called the ram leelas all over the country would know, be similar to the, to the way in which it's done in India. Just before a particular festival, the Festival of Lights, Diwali, the, mm-hmm. there's an enactment of the Ramayan going on. And there'd be actors who travel from village to village, even in Fiji, doing it. So that, that was that my, was there. my yeah, yeah. Now,
0: when do you encounter the Gothic
1: as no, such? No, the Gothic as such, um, uh, I encountered the Gothic um, in fact, it was very interesting. I encountered the Gothic, in fact, through Freud. It was the uncanny, the essay on the uncanny that made me think about, about the Gothic. And, uh, um, but I'd read it. I'd read it as part of my undergraduate training. It was sort of in, Wellington. in Wellington. In Wellington, New, New Zealand. Zealand, in, Dr. New Zealand in Wellington, mm-hmm. yeah, because Wellington in those days had some very, very fine, English scholars, one of whom was Don Mackenzie, D.F. Mackenzie, who took the um, the Chair of Bibliography and Textual Criticism in Oxford. So here was uh, Don Mackenzie, who was sort of trained, you know, in the old Oxford style, insisted that the canon had got to be taught. So I grew up. Uh, I mean, I, st- I still read out in Middle English, for instance, quite fluently. Uh, so we, we did that. So the Gothic was the kind of eruption that took place after the moment of realism in in late um, mid to late uh, 18th century, in lit. And, and and in the turn of the century as well, with with Mary Shelley and um, and Charles Maturin and so on. So the the text was there, but I didn't have a theoretical framework that I could apply until I came to Freud, and I became fascinated, you know, with, with the uncanny. And, Freud generally, and that, that took me back um, to, to the Gothic. And there were also interesting people here, um, uh, people like um, John Froe.
0: Here at Murdoch. Jack Murdoch, who used in to in.
1: run um, uh, the narrative fiction classes. And now at University of Sydney. Yes, um, by Melbourne, Edinburgh, Edinburgh, Queensland, Reynolds, Edinburgh. Edinburgh. And he used to run the narrative fiction class, and for some strange reason, um, quite early on, when I was just a very junior tutor here, he said, well, why don't you give the lectures on the Gothic? So I began, began to, to do it. And, um, and so, you know, that, that, that's how it began. And, uh, when, but when I wrote the book about the Gothic, um, what interested me about the Gothic was that um, uh, there is no kind of, um, well, I forget the phrase I, I used, um, uh, no sort of um, resolution um, of that moment of the sublime. You know, you, you referred to Kant in your talk mm-hmm. today. Um, the thing about Kantian sublime is that um, it, it's, it's a moment of, of um, uh, experience, understanding, that, uh, that reason allows you to undertake. Mm-hmm. Right? But then just when you're on the verge of collapse, it stops you, intervenes, and brings you down to earth so that you don't go mad. With that kind of Kantian reading. So 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 there is a, a way in which this happened with the romantic sublime of Wordsworth. They never went mad. And there's, he's almost mad in resolution and independence. He sees the, the leech-gatherer. But then he realizes that, look at this leech-gatherer. What is he doing? There's a kind of action for its own mm-hmm. end, you know? Mm-hmm. And although he's going insane, he sort of holds it back. And, and, and so the Romantic Sublime does that. So I, I began to think through the Gothic as one where this doesn't happen, that the law of reason does not intervene. It does not come in and stop you. So it, it's kind of this endless, um, what, what Freud referred to as the, the oceanic moment mm-hmm. you know, of, of dissolution. And so forth, and I begin to sense this in in, in a lot of our. I sense this in um, Melville's Pierre, for instance, this kind of, So that became the kind of, the gist of of, of the argument. Um, and what's the name
0: of that book? It's the called God the Gothic
1: God. Sublime, which is why it's called the Gothic mm-hmm. Sublime, which which is a sublime that doesn't have transcendence. Mm-hmm. Right? right. It must because if, if it doesn't, then we can't live. In, you know, and. Uh, in, in each of those moments of The Sublime, that's what happened, except for the Gothic. The, 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 the moment of transcendence does not occur.
0: Does not occur. So you
1: get, get lost in this labyrinth. You know? and uh, Magnificently done in, in Malmoth, the Wanderer, for instance. Mm-hmm. And in lots of, lots of late, later works. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so so that, that was the... And when does that book come out? That came out in 1994. 94? 94. 94. 94. And strangely, it's still in print. Mm, which is very good.
0: So, crossing back to your biographical story, you have gone from Fiji to New Zealand, Ontario, yes. on this fellowship. You've yes. encountered Freud and the Gothic.
1: Uh, later, not, there. Yeah, I, not I read, there. I read the text there, some of them. Right. But I didn't encounter uh, Freud and the Gothic until I came here. So, all right. Uh, because here we had literally theory, remember? Oh, no, We no, had no, the that's hosts right. of this world yeah, who, who ate theory. Yeah, as they used to say. Yeah, right. And and um, it affected all. It affected theory. everybody. Um, you you couldn't teach without theory. Yeah, yeah. So when John said to me, "Give these lectures on the Gothic," what do you do? I mean, I knew what happened to the characters in in um, uh, in the Castle of Otranto or um, on the Mistress of Udolpho and all the rest of it, but I didn't know what to do with it. Right. I could summarize the text, but I didn't have a framework. Theoretical the apparatus. apparatus that I could use. Mm-hmm. So it was here that I got the theoretical apparatus. And I suppose the same could be said about Bollywood cinema. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I knew the archive, but I didn't know what to do with it, how to handle it, which is where theory became so, so very important.
0: In some sense, Vijay, I mean, I think I'm right in saying you did a PhD in Australia after New Zealand.
1: Uh, no, after right. New Zealand, I went to Macquarie University, right? And I I, I did uh, because the New Zealand degree was a teacher's degree, which gave me a BA DipEd, right? Because part of the colonial system. Where I went back to Fiji to teach. Aha, uh-huh. okay. See, and then I got another scholarship to come to Macquarie University to do linguistics. So I I, I did linguistics. I did theoretical linguistics and field linguistics, but uh, in my second year, I. I went back to literature and, did, and completed the honours degree.
0: So yeah. you had another BA, yeah, just
1: a, an honours BA, right? And what then? You go to Oxford? No, no. Then works. then I go to the University of Sydney, where I I did an MA in Australian literature and Patrick White, which is why mm-hmm. I I got into Australian literature and, and with Bob Hodge wrote the book on Australian literature. So the this dark side a, of the dream. Dark side of the dream. Yeah, in 1991. So you and did the I, MA and in, Australian and, yeah, in Australian literature. In Australian literature. At um, um, Sydney. Sydney, and then I came here as a tutor. So that's when you come
0: to Murdoch. I come very is...
1: early. This was about late seventies, late seventies, right? and the place has
0: just taken off. Folks. Just taken
1: off, and I'm here very young. And I was interviewed um, in Sydney by the foundation professor John Frodsham, mm-hmm. uh, whom you know, was in mm-hmm. fact a fascinating man because mm-hmm. he um, he did an English degree at Cambridge. And then he said to me that one day he attended an exhibition of some kind with, um, with Chinese, um, what, what's the word? Chinese writings called? Um,
0: calligraphy. Yeah,
1: uh, calligraphy. And, and you'd know that a lot of um, Cambridge scholars, like, um, was it Whaley or someone? Or Wiley? Whaley? There were Chinese scholars, but they'd never been to China. They, they kind of learned uh, classical Chinese, like. Greek and Latin. And um, uh, so, so he said to me that he, he, he saw the calligraphy mm-hmm. and he turned his head around and he could recall it because he had a photographic memory. Wow. So, so he, he um, and he's the one who actually said to me when, when, he, when I was here, he said, why on earth are you doing English and all this? You know, why don't you do something else? So that's when I left this place and went to the ANU. To do a PhD in, in Sanskrit and medieval Indian poetics, Australian National University. Yeah, and this is with Basham, Basham and Risby, mm-hmm. uh, right? And um, but but I I knew the script. Because Both very prominent scholars, really some of the most famous scholars the ANU yeah, ever ever had. And but because I knew standard Hindi, which I learned in, in Fiji for the Cambridge matriculation, which was the exam we did. My 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 second language was was Hindi, which I, I learned. Um, uh, so I knew the script, mm. the, the Devanagari script. So it wasn't all that difficult for me to, to master it. So I, I did the PhD there and, and came back. But but when I was at um, in in Sydney, I'd won a little scholarship to Oxford uh, to do England. So, so after ANU, I came back here for a couple of years. And then one day I got this letter from St. Catharines College, Oxford, we're saying that, uh, my dear fellow, um, our records show that so many years ago you were given this scholarship and you haven't taken it up. <laughs> and the money is lying there, a few pounds, ah, you ah. know, and we really don't know what to do with it. Uh, do you intend to come back here at any stage at all or something like that? Yes. <laughs> very English, very, yeah. very English. So I said, oh, well, why not? So my family we just packed up and went to Oxford in 1985. I did the field in English literature to complete it. So, so that was kind of that's, that's quite, quite a story. Yeah, it's quite a story. Yeah. So,
0: but one of the things that's constant in this is the return to Murdoch. How yes, many times yes. have you come and gone? Well, Murdoch?
1: I from afterwards I went to the University of Alberta. I got the chair of um, English literature there, and that's when I wrote the book on Bollywood cinema. And uh, I came back here after two years. But there were other reasons. So first of all, there there were two reasons. First of all, my family, uh, my son by then had won a scholarship to Oxford uh, to do a BCL, Bachelor in Constitutional Law. And uh, he wasn't very keen to come to a university in Canada. So he wanted to go there. And uh, my wife and daughter came and uh, they found the cold. This is Alberta. this is mm. Edmonton. Yeah. very, very cool. Um, I was okay. They gave me great privileges. I had a research assistant working with me full-time. It was wonderful. But the the moment when, when I said, oh, no, I I really can't go on here, was I won. Um, uh, Canada has a, a slightly different version of the Discovery Grant, the Australian research Council fellowships they they've divided the humanities and so forth the social sciences and Humanities, something or other of Canada runs the humanities section, so in my first year, i got this very large award and I don't know why well, it's the nature of the award or my application. they asked me to be one of the members of the um, the committee mm-hmm. that ran the award for the following year, but the condition was that you should be able to read. Um, the application in French and writing it too, because it's a bilingual nation mm. by law. And that's when it occurred to me that in Australia I'd actually mastered the grand narrative of the nation. I, I'd written Dark Side of the Dream. I, I knew, I knew also it extremely well. I could write mm. about this culture, and it hit me that I'd never be able to do it in. No matter what I try, how well I try, mm. I never have that kind of mastery. I do have reading French, thanks to my Canadian experience. <clears throat> but not that kind of sure. knowledge, which I do have about Australia. I mean, I know the literary grand narrative of this nation very well indeed. So that was the reason why. And I came back here, um, although I had uh, invitations from other universities, partly because this is the one place that gave me the most freedom to do whatever I like. And one of the other interesting things about this particular university was, uh, and this didn't even happen in, in Alberta, this university has never asked me to teach my body what I look like. I've never taught Bollywood cinema here. I've never taught postcolonial literature here. I've never taught multiculturalism here, although I've written on all three subjects. Uh, and, and that I found very, very interesting. You're treated as a general intellectual, yeah, rather yeah, than the representative right, of your body. This is it, and mm-hmm. and this yeah. is something I find um, a bit disturbing mm-hmm. about uh, Indian students who come here. And invariably they say, "I want to do the literature of in India, I want to do Bollywood cinema, I want to do this thing or other about Anglophone, whatever writing in English." And I say to them, "But why don't you do something on Sanskrit?" or why don't you do Shakespeare? Why not, you know? And, 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 and do the kind of thing Moretti does with the idea of world literature. That you know, you can't master all the language of the world, but you can ask the question, why is it that the bourgeois novel took different forms mm-hmm. in different parts of the world? What, what was so intrinsic about the English experience that it produced Richardson? Mm-hmm. And that, in India, it produces romances, sentimental works by the Bengali. You know? it, it, that kind of work. But it's not done because the multicultural has now made us uh, effects of our body, in a way. Mm. And, and I, I found that... Um, uh, I resisted it. And this was one university that, that never, to this day... I mean, in my honours class, I teach... Um, Bibliography and textual criticism. <laughs> I, I don't. Um, I, I, this is one of my great achievements. I've never taught postcolonial writing here, never, but I've taught Australian literature. So, so that that's probably why. I I think it's it's a it's a wonderful university. It's it's allowed me to do good work, you know. It's giving me a certain kind of freedom, and and that was another reason why. When I got the Australian Professional Fellowship, on the Discovery Grant, um, immediately, in you know, other universities said, oh, "Why didn't you bring it to here, or there? Because we're bigger, we're part of the G8, and you'll get all that publicity and so forth." But I never did. You know, I didn't see any point, because the argument always was that um, uh, you get to, you, you, you're known from in terms of what you write and what you produce rather than the institution to which you belong. You, know, you could be at, at Oxford and write, write crap. You know? so or nothing. Not, or nothing, for that matter. You know, everything is sort of sensibility, so to speak. Over, over Sherry, you talk about, you know, Jane Austen. <laughs> so, <laughs> so,
0: sorry to interrupt. You carry on, yeah. um, just because I want to make sure we get back to your work, mm-hmm. I wondered if you could meditate for a moment, Vijay, about this classic work, all your books are classics, mm-hmm. really, that you did with Bob Hodge, who was yes. here at the same time, and We mm-hmm. were, this dark side of the dream yes. book, yes. which
1: comes out in 91. 91. 91, so about 91, I think. Yeah. It is, yeah. yeah. <coughs> well, that, that was... Um, um, Bob, as you know, was very involved in Aboriginal writing. He, in fact, started um, a few units in Aboriginal literature here as part of a general major of some kind. And um, we started thinking, well it all arose from um, uh, a book that was edited by Leone Kramer which is called The Oxford History of Australian Literature something not like that, in which it was a kind of um, uh, a grand anglo celtic narrative of the nation where um, the it was a kind of uh, the other and particularly the Aboriginal other about whom a lot of the works were written, I and mean, they were kind of the uh, the ghostly presence mm, mm. or absence, shall we say in this mm-hmm. work, so we said, well why don 't we try to kind of overread these works, over them mm. through this? What is this absence and, and uh, so we, we we talked about you know this sort of dark side of, of, of australian literature we we, we we really examined the the uh, the Australian legend, which was presented as kind of the, the nationalist ethos, you know, the bush ranger, and and we asked ourselves, but then who did the bush rangers meet, and, and what, what were they imitating? We also began to look at minor, you know, Frank the poet's works, the convict writing, Harper's works, and so on, to uh, to rethink you know, this, this this whole. Mm-hmm. Um, You know domain of national literature because it was presented as a national literature which began with the context so so that's how, how, mm-hmm. how it was done but one of the interesting things about the book is that if you, if you read it we um, uh, we brought our, our, our writings together and then we we rewrote it as in one kind of um, uh, one style so when you look at the book, it's very hard to tell who wrote what.
0: Can you remember which bits you wrote versus Yeah, why?
1: I vaguely remember the bits I wrote. I think I was into the, the convict period. The, because I, at Sydney University, I, I did a lot of work in the 19th century. So a lot of the 19th century stuff, you know, um, uh, Term of the Natural Life, all that work. And I, I remember working on, on the two versions. So in the Mitchell Library, looking at the two versions, the, the serial version and so forth. Uh, that was kind of my training. Bob was, of course, um, uh, a better semitician, as you know, and, and, and a Miltonist,
0: I mean. and a fine Miltonist,
1: a fine who, who translated, uh, I think, Milton's Latin poems for Cambridge University Press. You know, I think translated and edited them from from memory. Yeah, yeah. So he he was sort of very very good good at that, and so we we probably made a few. Um, over-the-top statements as well, but it had to be done. Curiously enough, um, outside of, and even Australia, within Australia, certainly outside of Australia, it's probably the most cited book on Australian literature and culture. Uh, It just circulated extremely well, maybe because of of what was being said and because it was kind of what came to be called was was developing as a kind of post-colonial you know, reading of the the archive. So that's how it it happened. Um, And, uh, you know, uh, the rest is history. Yeah,
0: absolutely. So again, this is partly your picking up new influences as a consequence of being at Murdoch. It's as though you had all this empirical material and conceptual material such as language, You didn't quite have the sense-making apparatus no, in place no, until I, you encounter people like, like Horst, Roth, Hors, Hors, Hors,
1: Bob Hodge, John um, There are a few others here, too. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a... whose name's escaped me. who uh, were well, Rita Felsky, too, but she came a bit late. Yeah. You know, uh, sure. and, of course, she came... Uh, I mean, by that time, I'd sort of mastered literary theory. But she came as a kind of exemplary figure in the sense that... She had already done something which took me 15 years to master. Because in her work, uh, the theory and the text just came together naturally. Mm. She had no problem mm. doing it. So, uh, and, and we had um, a few other people whose names that of escaped me coming, particularly in cultural studies. There was John Hartley and Ian Eng and, and so on, um, with whom I, I had you know, particularly film interests and so forth. Tom O'Regan. Tom O'Regan, yes, certainly. Yeah, yeah, Tom, certainly. And, um, and, and of course, Tom's work in nationalist, national cinemas was also a, uh, a model that I looked at very carefully but I couldn't use because I wasn't writing. I didn't have that kind of skill to write Bolly- about Bollywood cinema as a national cinema. You know, I, I, I could write it as a... Um, I mean, it's, it's sort of exemplary text around film theory, uh, I mean, I and also as a um, as a kind of emotional um, personal uh, engagement mm. with, with it. I was much more interested in in its structural forms, in its cultural antecedents, in in the link between narrative and song, and so forth. Mm. Uh, partly because I I I played the harmonium and, and the songs were quite important for me.
0: Sure. And, and so. Like, I, I'm about to ask you to speak your body, even though this is mm-hmm. in a building where you've never been mm-hmm. asked to teach it, Vijay, mm-hmm. which is, mm. as a person variously described bureaucratically as a person of Indian origin or a yes. non-resident Indian, right, I right. love these POI, oh, NRI yeah, 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 yeah. acronyms. They're wonderful, right, designations. Right. Some of this is a search, it seems to me, for part of you that is ever-present and yet not there.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, <clears throat> I remember... You know, when I wrote one of my books, and and my father died, and I went there for the funeral, and it's you know Hindu rituals, are sort of um, uh, very painful in the sense that uh, the body is burnt, and the eldest son has to light the pyre, you know. And uh, I remember um, talking to him some months before he died, and um, he said to me, son, you know understand. Uh, I've seen your library, but to me, they're like uh, carpenter's tools. He was yeah, right. Yeah, they're, they're tools you use, just as we would use the cane knife to cut. They're tools and wood tools. But I don't quite understand what you're doing, you know, mm. what you're doing. So I said to mm. him, well, what do you mean? He said, well, maybe what you do must have something to do with Things that remain uncompleted in our culture or or um things about which you ought to be known or, um, or or writing or intellectually thinking through you know things that have influenced you, so I thought about and I do remember um somewhere writing about that time this happened in nineteen eighty he died in eighty nine in fact it was Tragic because he died brokenhearted as a result of the 1987
0: coup. Right. So there's this terrible moment in Fiji, moment when, when the when Indian majority had finally it. taken Final political it. power, yeah. and, then, and the Fijian native minority, yeah. which had tribal force and military force, yeah, took, over. Yeah, took over.
1: Yeah, and from there onwards, of course, the Indians began to leave, and, and the barely thirty percent now, and the the indigenous Fijians constituted about 60% of the population. So we're in a minority. Anyway, so at, at that moment, I said to, I thought about, I'm not sure if I said this to him. I said, okay, I will write. And that's how it developed. So I, I said, I'm going to write about a, a country that I've lived longer in than any other country, which is Australia, a country that I've made my home, which led to... Dark side of the side. I said, I'll write something about my own discipline which is English literature, which led to the Gothic. I said I'll write something which is high cultural, uh, which grew also out of the work. I did with Basham and Risvi, which was on, it was called Devotional Poetics and the Indian Sublime, which is a look at Sanskrit and Hinduism and the Bhagavad Gita and so forth. So I did that. And then I said to myself, well, the, India, as I, knew it and got to know it in Fiji, was through Bollywood cinema. So I wrote the Bollywood. And then, of course, uh, being part of the Indian diaspora, I, I wrote the book, The Literature of the Indian Diaspora, after that. Uh, and, and, and that also arose, grew out of my fascination with someone who was disliked by almost everybody, but who was like me, and that's V.S. Vs. Vs. yeah, Similar background. 19th century indentured ladies, yes. they went to Trinidad, they came to Fiji. And they had the wrong
0: kind of politics. They had the wrong kind of
1: kind of politics, unlike mine. But he fascinated me. Sure. And I, I think that um, A House of Mr. Meswas is, is really the grand text of, of the sure, plantation diaspora. Absolutely you know, remarkable. Nothing quite like that. And, and in terms of um, engagement with the metropolitan centre, yeah. uh, the enigma of arrival, you know. yeah. To, he to, to out to outwit Wordsworth,
0: yeah. produced remarkable works. His problem, apart from his politics, is that people don't like him, mm, mm, mm. and there are such denunciations of him. I think yeah. Paul Theroux, yes, oh yes, did, yes, right? Yes, right? yes, wrote yes, one, but there yes, are many,
1: many, many yeah.
0: terrible denunciations. Yeah. And of course, he ultimately denounced himself. Yes, yes,
1: when <laughs> the Barbara that was written, yeah, yeah. So, but, but, but there is something about. Uh, I mean, the aesthetic is is yet again, you know, and you, you can't blame Shakespeare for being nasty towards the Moor, towards Sherlock, can you? And right. you've still got to read them. And, and it's, it's taken, it took me back to Nepal, and I've just put in another discovery grant. This to, to the Australian Research yeah, Council, yeah. which
0: is their national yeah, research agent. to write
1: uh, in my kind of, before I leave this institution, to write the book on B.S. Night. So, so to, to finish that, after mm, the literature yeah. in the diaspora, then I wrote this book on, we put multiculturalism in the past tense, it's called What Was Multiculturalism, which came out two years ago. And, uh, and now I'm writing, uh, finishing off my current uh, grant, and I'm writing this book on, um, on Saman Rushdie, and it's actually uh, grew out of the archive, the Rushdie archive at Emory University, which I've read in, in total. So that, that's what I'm doing. Wow. Right. Um, I wonder, we've got about maybe ooh, not three long. or four minutes left. No, right, yeah. Very
0: quickly, take, and you've got to finish your scotch. Mm. Please tell me a little bit about the Multiculturalism uh, book and also the one you're finishing. Don't
1: you? Yeah, um, the Multiculturalism book it has a very interesting history. Um, from 1998 onwards, when uh, I was at the University of Alberta, I was invited by um, the editors of *The um, Year's Work in Critical and Cultural Theory*. You
0: wrote a brilliant synoptic essay on multiculturalism. Yes, like
1: yeah, and I uh, also, in one of the chapters, I have a page on um, uh, on cultural citizenship by someone whose name escapes it. me. <laughs> 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 um, uh, so for fourteen years, I wrote this. It was a, a critical review of um, Veer's work in English. Yeah, and uh, then uh, I was at the ANU on a of, uh, Humanities Research Council fellowship for six months in 2012, or something like that. And uh, um, in my computer, there was this. 14 chapters that I've written on multiculturalism, about 15 to 20,000 words every year, and it came to, I don't know what, 200,000 words, and I said, well, let me conceptualize it, think through it, and uh, because there's no pattern, no order, no system in multiculturalism. No, nobody knows what are the various ways in which multiculturalism has been discussed, examined, analyzed, theorized. So I did this. I, I wrote 13 chapters, 13 ways of conceptualizing multiculturalism. And so it's a kind of critique of multiculturalism, ways of doing it. It's a kind of very handy book. But um, there's also an unease that I've always had. I've, I've always felt that, that multiculturalism, given that it was a settler nation program. Canada. Canada, Australia, uh, in particular, and um, that it was basically a control mechanism. It was the way in which one could handle visible minorities who couldn't easily enter in a kind of assimilative form to the grand narrative of the nation. Bodies did matter. Bodies still Bodies matter. matter Indeed, they in do. In a big way. Yeah. And I was so surprised that uh, it got appropriated by everybody on the ground. Said, well, look here, you know, Australia's always been a multicultural nation because the Irish came, the Maltese came, the Italians came, and so forth. But the entry into into the nation took different forms. Mm-hmm. Right? They could more, more easily um, play AFL football and so forth. And when, uh, you know, People say to me, why is it that uh, at Berkeley, 50% of the student body are Indian, Chinese and Japanese, you know, mm-hmm. because that, that's what happened when affirmative action went. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And part of the reason they do it is that uh, uh, our bodies exclude us from representation in so many parts of, of the nation. We, yeah. we cannot be... Film stars, we can't be rock stars. We can't be football players. We can't be this advertisements. We're not on television, you know. So the only thing you could be is be a doctor, yeah, that kind of thing. But anyway, um, so so that that was kind of the the, the linchpin, the way in which you know, in Australia, um, Gatsby or one of the early ministers of um, uh, immigration. Gatsby? Gatsby Al, Grasby, Al Grasby. Who
0: was an uh, Italian-Irish, yeah, yeah, it was some, yeah. mixed, mixed Australian scam, yeah. guy who was on the left and mm. was unusual in that he won a rural seat for the Social Democratic yeah, yeah, Party. Yeah. He was later involved in all kinds of scandals, yeah. but was a kind of heroic figure. He was, yes. As an iconic mm. subject because he didn't look the same as me. No, no.
1: no. For example, no. as a
0: conventional Norman-European-looking yeah, 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 yeah. mm. chap.
1: Yeah, but what he didn't quite understand was that uh, uh, the, the Chinese or the Indian would have more difficulty because they looked even more different. Yeah, yeah, and the other problem with multiculturalism was, and this is something we raised in Dark Side of the Dream, yeah. was that the indigenous somehow or other became yet another multicultural yeah. group. And that's nonsense.
0: Well, this is one of the problems that Aboriginal people often have with multicultural mm, policies, mm. with the special broadcasting service, yes, with yeah. other agents of the state designated essentially to control migrants. Mm. And then the last moment thinking, oh, there are also these original owners. Yeah, yeah. What are we going to do about no. them?
1: And which is why in New Zealand you have this ongoing problem by culture versus multicultural. Yeah. Because the Maoris say that the, the compact, the Treaty of Waitangi, yeah. it 1840 compact, yeah. was between the Pakeha and uh, please continue. Good. Horst, come in. We're just
0: finishing, but join us. Horst, oh. can we you oh. mentioned oh. several times. Several times, the, times as the, the great guru with our guru. Um,
1: can I give yes. you a drop? Of, of, course. Um, of course. I don't have another glass. I'll use yours. No, C- 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 I am. Because I have had <laughs> mine. And <laughs> I brought this, and I'm not too sure, wasn't too sure if um, uh, Toby was in the telescope. Thank you. If he was in my room, I would have given him a choice of four. Uh, but Talisca is a good drop. Did you know that this is the... Some things uh, never change. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great drop because this is the one half of mm. Johnny Walker Black Label. Uh-huh. Johnny Walker Black Label is a blend made of 50% Talisca and 50% Cardu. This Cardu is a bit rougher. So they blend it with this to it's give awesome. it um, a nice, um, smooth kind of uh, finish. But of course, um, mm-hmm. people like you would never drink blended scotch It's not. like reading an average Dickens. It's, 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 <laughs> I, I would like to have his problems. <laughs> Drawing fine <laughs> distinctions.
0: <laughs> well, listeners, the we, we, person we've just been joined by is Horst Rittroff, who we really have invoked several times in our conversation. Uh, always positively, Horst. We must speak the truth to the podcast. <clears throat> but we're just finishing off. Vijay's been explaining his multiculturalism book. And we're going to finish with, I think, a couple of remarks about the project that you've almost
1: concluded. Yes, now this, this project is the, the Simon Rushdie project, um, which is a very ambitious project. Another, sca-
0: another scoundrel.
1: Another scoundrel, very much so. He loves scoundrels. Oh, yes. Bond villains. <laughs> we began, began with Bond villains. <laughs> and uh, um, it's, it's actually an old-style... Um, Work in in the critical bibliography. It's it's really an annotation
0: mm-hmm.
1: of his. It began as an annotation of his entire works, but I think it'll end up as an annotation of what I refer to as classic corpus, which is up to the Moore's last sign. Because what I want to do is not have just in you know, a like Ulysses annotated or Joyce mm-hmm. annotated, mm-hmm. but I'd like to have a first. 50 or 60,000 words of kind of theoretical engagement mm-hmm. with annotations and so forth as well. So that that's what um, I hope to finish by the end of this year.
0: Are you looking at The Wizard of Oz book?
1: <laughs> yes, yes, uh, his um, his film book. Yes, 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 yes. You like it, do you? I do and I don't, yeah. but I
0: think it's an inventive and exciting thing to have done. You know, it r- riffs on Dorothy's shoes yes. and his magical realism, while being a book of film criticism mm-hmm. about a movie. And it's a remarkable.
1: Yeah. It's 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 a remarkable book. And when I was in the, the Puna Film Archives yeah. last uh, early this year, what I did. A lot of people have talked about um, uh, his reading of of cinema and his experience of cinema and so forth, mm. and. His family was involved in the Bollywood film industry.
0: Really? Mm.
1: And what I did was that I looked at uh, a very well known uh, periodical. Uh, I'm not too sure whether it's weekly or, or fortnightly. It's called Film Fair. And I went through all the Film Fair from 1952 to 1963 when Rushdie leaves for, for rugby uh, on the basis that if he had. And I'm assuming that this film fair went to his house, yeah, and that he he began to read English by the time his father was six. So this was his knowledge mm. of of films because they used to do Hollywood films as well in <laughs> film fair. There ten pages mm-hmm. about Hollywood films. So if if you look at the kind of the the, the kinds of films discussed, it gives you a great idea about the sorts of things that, that that Rushdie would have been familiar with. Mm. And you're going to pin him down, you know, precisely. And you see these intertexts. Yeah, very I was easily. quite
0: fascinated by the fact that he does the voiceover, I think, in the yeah. nice Midnight's Children film. Sadly, sadly. Mm. Did you know this horse? Yeah, well, yeah, it is. Sadly. So when you say
1: sadly, tell me about because that. Because I had I no idea when I saw it. Yeah. I didn't know it was his voice, actually. I yeah, didn't recognise yeah. Sadly, because it kind of... Um, uh, made Salim very much like himself. You know, the, 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 the fact that Salim was being created as someone other than him, the case that he has, been, he has made critically all along, that the speaking, you know, his voice is different from me. The errors he makes are not my mistakes. The the narration. Well, Rushdie has yeah. enough of his own without yeah. borrowing from somebody else, voices yeah. and he, By giving it a voice. A voice, he, he yeah, yeah. Kind of, so, so, Salim's own voice, when it comes, mm. it's sort of um, shadowed by. Well, it's subordinated soul. to, isn't it? Yeah, because the yeah. voice you
0: remember and is Rushdie's. It, it, and it's a very, very.
1: The, the other thing is, and, and I've met him a number of times at Emory University myself. The thing about Rushdie, however, is he's is so very English. And that's how the voice comes across. Well, it's well, a well. very, very paka, rugby, you know, private school. Naughty but nice. Yeah, yeah, that's it, the advertisement. The significance of the voice, of course, is that voice, voice is absent in mathematics and formal logic. And in natural language, voice and aboutness are the two things. Mm. And the voice can change the sentence into its opposite. Meaning of the sentence, Mm. which is not possible in any other uh, artificial languages. So, him taking on his own voice in order to uh, represent the voice that he wanted to distance from himself is a certain contradiction. Yeah, Yeah, I I think the other problem with that voice was that it indicated that he had so much control over the film, which is why the film flops. Does it? It flops because Rushdie writes the, um, the dialogue. He's there with um, uh, meter, who's the director, all the time. And I think he should have let go. He should have let go of the work and let someone else write the, um, the dialogue, the, the screenplay. Give, some, give someone else, the actor himself, the voice. Mm-hmm. But there were also other choices that were wrong. I mean, to ask Homi Bhava's son to be Salim, absolute disaster. But the younger Salim was okay.
0: Yeah.
1: First half of the film works very well. But finally, the, the, the great tragedy of the film is that Bombay is missing. Yeah. The city, you know, and, and there is a lovely interview in the Emory archive. Uh, Rushdie is asked, uh, uh, if you were a Hindu and believed in reincarnation, what would you like to come back as? <laughs> and he said, a city. A and I thought it was such used. a fascinating statement <laughs> because a city has got life. New York mm. is a body that exists, you know. And, and here in the film, the, the crucial element of Midnight's children, which is Bombay, the city is missing. <laughs> well,
0: Vijay, I want oh, to thank okay. you very mm, much for yeah. being so generous with your time. Mm-hmm. And I would like to extract a promise from you, if I may. And I'm, of course, I'm going to try to drag you into one of these recordings while I'm here, if I, if I can. I didn't have your email address, which is why I wasn't in contact earlier. But Vijay's I had. I would like to protect like, a promise from you, Vijay. I want to do more on Rushdie with you. When the book is out, mm-hmm. can, will you re-enter the pod and of become course, a victim one more course, time?
1: when the book is out. Like Horst, we have one problem. Um, we don't get um, uh, contracts from publishers. We send our manuscript to publishers when it's finished. Which and why not? People, yeah. And so why not? I've got to finish away. the book first and then see what happens. It might take a while. It'll be out.
0: And evening. no doubt the great narcissist himself will have things to say to you oh, sure. after maybe one I of the first to people to, to read, read it. it. <laughs> well thank you again, Vito. Okay. Well, thank you, Horst, for popping in at the end. I put a, uh, my latest it's called Imaginability. Uh-huh.
1: Mainstream
0: oh.